Our guest today is Coach Matthew McCollis from, from South St. Paul. Coach, how are we doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I, this is a, I've listened to the first two, and I'm, I'm honored. I get to follow the, the omnipresent John Carrier and the wonderkind uh, uh, Bryce Tesdall, so I'm in good company here. Yeah, I didn't realize I was getting two Bemidji State grads. Uh, one of my buddies used to coach me as a BSU guy. He goes, good, good way to start your podcast, bring Bemidji State people. And I swear, I'm a Brainerd guy, and I, you know, we kind of feed with Bemidji people. So that wasn't really my move, but it just kind of worked out. Obviously, John's good with the small side of game stuff. He's got a big following. And you know, Bryce with guys who's had success in some big urban or big suburban districts in the last couple of years. It's good a couple of guests to have on. I'm really excited to have you, Coach, because um, I've, I've watched you from afar for a while. Uh, we ran into each other at – uh, this summer at Stillwater, I just want to go in my way to introduce myself to you because I just think the world of what you've done and the and the what you've done at the programs you've had and how quickly you've turned them around. And I just want to want to know a little bit more about that. But first, let's hear some of your background. Uh, high school coaches don't have Wikipedia pages, and so let's kind of give you some of the spots that you've been uh, to fill some of our listeners in. Sure, um, I got my start. Um, you know, I. Unlike Bryce, who had a long playing career, um, I didn't. I, I was not. Uh, I played in high school poorly um, and did not play in college. Um, and then knew I wanted to get into coaching. And so I, I happened to be fortunate enough when I was 18 years old, I was offered a, a spot with Coach McKenzie at Patrick Henry High School, Coach Larry McKenzie, Hall of Famer. Um, and man, what an amazing experience! I, I was. Uh, I grew up in New Prague, Minnesota, and, and to be, you know, 18 years old and thrown into that environment um, with those teams in our first four years, we won state championships and um, had just amazing talent and, and amazing coaching and leadership from Coach McKenzie and the staff. And it, I mean, every day it was like a coach's clinic. I, you know, a young, wide-eyed coach, I would come back and just fill up a notebook after after every day. Um, and just because of the players we had, the, the exposure was, was awesome. I mean, we would have, you know, Rick Tino came in, Tom Izzo came in, um, you know, Kelvin Sampson, obviously he got a couple of our guys. Um, the Gophers were always in there. It was just, it was crazy for a young coach, the, the environment that, that, the kind of the cauldron that we were in, um, it was just, it catapulted my career. And it really it brought a passion out for uh, for a number of the coaching in general, but but working with um, with an inner city, uh, maybe even if you would call it an at risk population, it was really cemented there at that early age. Um, from there, I was fortunate through through some of the contacts we had at 22. I, I was offered a job at um, Eastern Arizona Junior College, a Division One Junior College down in Arizona. Um, took that. Um, 22 thought I was going to be the next Rick Pitino. I was like, this is easy. You know, I um, learned a ton. Um, also learned that um, the college grind was a lot different. It was a lot less about helping kids and a lot more about winning games. Um, and it just, it, it soured me a little bit. So I came back um, after one year there, I came back and went to law school and um, didn't know if I was going to coach anymore. Kind of, uh, was kind of in the weeds, took two years off. And then coach McKenzie got um, the job at Holy Angels and said, coach, uh, you know, you come back. And so I came back and we went to Holy Angels and that was an awesome experience because it was just so different from our, from our Patrick Henry experience and some of the ups and downs and the learning that happened there. So we spent two years there and I got the itch again. Um, and it was uh, ever since then, I mean, I just haven't, haven't looked back. Um, uh, after the two years at Holy Angels, graduated from law school, and finally, uh, so at 28, I got the head coaching job at BRAC. Um, spent three years there. Uh, we ended up going to the section finals our third year. And then um, at the time, I was officing in, uh, in Lake Elmo, and I got the took the St. Croix prep job out in Stillwater. We were transitioning from 1A to 2A, and um, it was a, it was a unique situation and, and a lot of fun. And we had two years out there and then Brooklyn center came open and um, that's kind of a job that we had looked at from afar. I coached against Brooklyn center every year as a head coach. That was five years. And it's something that had always intrigued me. Um, and so when that came open, it came open about halfway through the year, my second year at St. Croix prep. And I went to my staff. I've had a pretty loyal group of staff, went to my staff, went to my wife and I said, look, this thing's open, you know, we're going to coach, we're going to coach this team, we're going to coach hard, but if, if they post this, I, I really think I want to make a run at it. And we got it. And then, um, you know, in a number of my jobs uh, that I've, that I've taken, people have been like, 
are you sure? Like, really, this is where you want to go? You, you want to go to Brooklyn Center? Uh, I was like, yeah, I, I think this is, this is the spot. And we spent four years there. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, what a great experience. We're at the state for the first time in 35 years. And, um, just did, did some crazy and, and amazing things and, and um, just loved it at Brooklyn Center. Problem was I, I live in Mendota Heights. I have three young kids, um, seven, three, and a one-year-old. So being on the road a minimum of an hour and a half every day just to get to and from coaching when I'm also running a law firm and, and everything else, it was just too much. So South St. Paul came open this past summer um, and again, kind of went to my staff, went to the family and the, the same from the staff and from the basketball people that I talked to, I, uh, I got the same questions. It's like, come on, Brooklyn Center is one thing. You don't want to go to South St. Paul. No way. You're not going to South St. Paul. I said, I think we can do it. Like, I, I think this is, I think this is it. Like, I think everything's there. The pieces are in place. We just got to go in there and, and figure it out. My wife was thrilled, you know, I mean, seven minutes from our house. So she gets an extra hour uh, basically with me a day. So uh, I think she was thrilled at the idea. I don't know that she loves it now that she actually has to be with me for an extra hour every day. <laughs> but um, so that's kind of been the, the, the career path so far in there, you know, and another one that, that um, has been a really cool opportunity and a really fun experience has been I'm the head coach of the Tanzanian national team over in Africa as well. And going on my uh, fifth year of that as well. So that's kind of the, the resume in a nutshell. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll get to the uh, national team stuff here. At, we're at the end, but I just want to get right into it. Talk about those first steps when you take over a program, like you've had success. I mean, the wins speak for themselves in the South St. Paul, their best season. I, what, first 20 win years, something crazy, first in a long time at South St. Paul, Brooklyn Center, 35-year state tournament drought. So what are those first steps you're doing when you take over a program? You know, what we try to do is, and I, I always like to talk about we. Um, I, I've had a staff with me um, that's been pretty consistent. And, um, you know, my my one assistant, Steve Priestley, has been with me literally from the from the first day at Brooklyn, at, at BRAC. I mean, every game I've coached, he's been right there. He's been at every practice. Um, he was my college roommate. He, so he's, he's been there building every step of the way. Ross Foreman played for us um, at, uh, at Henry, played then at Wyoming and Chicago Loyola. And he's been with us at Breck and at Brooklyn Center and now at South St. Paul. So I've had this loyal staff um, kind of helping do a, do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, so every time I, I talk about it, I say we, that's kind of what I'm talking about. We, everywhere we've been, we've added other pieces and we have a, an amazing staff right now of, uh, of five guys. Um, but that's been kind of the core. And so what we do, everyone has been different. Every, every rebuild has been different. We try to get a sense of, of what we're walking into and we've kind of done our due diligence before we take the job. Um, you know, I know some people say, you know, how, how do you, how do you turn it around so quickly? And I said, you know, the first thing is you got to take the right jobs. You know, you have to have, there are certain ingredients that we look for and um, you know, but, but beyond that, you know, they're obviously struggling or not having success for a reason. We try to figure out what that is, what, what's needed. And the only way to do that is to communicate usually with athletic directors. Um, Other, what I've really had a lot of success with is talking to other um, coaches in the school for, for at South St. Paul, the girls hockey coach had a lot of insight as to why they were struggling, what was going on. Um, it was the girls softball coach at uh, Brooklyn center. She just had a lot of insight. She was in the school. That's one thing that, that we don't have. We're not in the school. Not uh, nobody on any of my staffs have ever been in the school, which I think is good and bad. Um, and I think there are a lot of advantages to it and I really like it that way. But so we have to kind of rely on other people and find um, people in the school who can give us the inside kind of, kind of dish uh, and dirt and the things we wouldn't just find out through basketball. Um, so that's, that's the big thing. It's kind of finding out what's lacking, what's missing. Why is there a disconnect between the young men that are in the program and success on the court? And then it's building relationships with the kids. Um, that is number one, absolutely. And my staff, they, they work their tail off, but sometimes they get frustrated with me because I said, look, if, if there's a baseball game going on and one of our kids is there, we need to be there. If there's a football game, if there's an AAU practice, anything, we have to be there 
And we have to build these relationships. We have to find out about them. We have to find out their family life, their home life. We have to start laying that foundation because then when we start coaching them, they know it's about more than, than we care about them as a football player, as a, as a student, as, as a young man. And so when we start coaching them hard and figuring out what they need and those types of things, there's a lot more buy-in already when we walk in on that first day of practice. So you went to the gym for the first time, if that's with a, you know, summer workout, if that's the first practice of the year, uh, what are some things you're looking for when you're evaluating players and evaluating the program? And you can, you know, talk to conference coaches or coaches that played them or maybe film that you've watched. But when you walk in on that first day, what are some of the things that you're looking for? One of the biggest things, you know, obviously you're looking for talent, but we've, but like you said, we've watched the film, we've talked to conference coaches, um, you know, now with North Star Hoops and all that, we've seen where everybody's ranked and all that stuff. Um, so we have an idea of what that is. One of the biggest things that, that we talk about as a staff is we talk about how they communicate with each other. How are, uh, how, how those, those personal interactions are. I think that tells you a lot about a young man. Are they, are they going to shy away from something where they want to say something or hold somebody accountable, but they're just, they don't have what it takes, or is it always going to be yelling and bickering and fighting? Um, is it going to be negative talk? Uh, you know, that's to me, one of the biggest things that we look for right away is how they communicate and how it, both verbal and nonverbal, um, because then that's going to tell us and shape how we need to, to fix and work with that. Because if we can't communicate as a team, we're not going to, it's not going to work. So buy-in's huge. Right? That was one of our Twitter, Twitter guests, Twitter audience <laughs> members came in with that. I want to dive really, a little bit deeper into that. How do you get that buy-in? You talk relationships, but what are some of the strategies that you use uh, to really get that buy-in where maybe someone's a returning starter, but now you come and have them coming off the bench. What are some ways that you get that, uh, that program buy-in? Sure. Um, and, and a lot of it is, um, it is the, the personal relationships because when you're giving somebody bad news or you're getting on them or you're, you're, you're working them hard um, or you're correcting something, you know, perfect example is um, at, at uh, Brooklyn center when we took over Landon Kirkwood was the, the best player there. He ended up going to division one. He was the best player that Brooklyn center had in a long time. And he wasn't used to being coached. They just kind of let him do what he was going to do. Um, and so we came in and we started coaching him and he didn't like it because he, he liked being the best player at Brooklyn Center and he was comfortable with that. And he got a lot of accolades for that and he could put a, a YouTube video of him dunking and it would get a ton of views and that was cool for him. And so for us, it was, and he was a senior, so there wasn't going to, we were going to go in there and coach him hard. And if he was either going to get it or not, and by the end of the year, he actually, we ended up having to, we ended up not playing him our last seven games because because of some other uh, other things and some of our younger kids stepped up and they're like we don't want to be like that we don't want to be like that guy and sometimes that's some of the casualties um and they either get it or they don't but we can't let that you know a lot of times we teach through that um for the betterment of the program the long-term betterment of the program was the best thing that ever happened to us at Brooklyn center um again it just it goes to you know we're going to come in and do what we do and we're going to do it in a way that fits the young men that we have. Um, and some people are going to get it and some people aren't. And the reason, there's always a reason that some people, they weren't successful. Like, and that also helps us, right? Uh, you know, we look, come into this year at South St. Paul and our senior who's now going to play division one junior college, Marcus Brown. We talked to him before the season and we were just communicating with him. Ross Foreman and I went over to his house and uh, he's like, coach, in my three years here, we've won 13 varsity games, period. I said, okay, so we got to do things different. So you have to just trust us at some point, right? If you want to be good. And if not, if you want to keep getting the same results, then just keep doing what you're doing. And then you're going to be on the bench and we're going to find somebody else who will. Um, and so it can go one of two ways. I guess those are the two extremes. Marcus bought in, had a great year, going to be a scholarship player. Landon didn't, um, and has bounced around. He's, you know, playing division one and he's a great kid. He just didn't know any better. He, he grew up in a culture where it was okay to be the best player at Brooklyn center. And he was okay with that. And he just didn't take to the coach. What does coaching hard look like for you? I know for me, I, some of my years where I've been the biggest yeller and screamer, uh, I probably didn't connect with kids as well. And it was going in one year out the other because I didn't have that relationship as you mean, as you mentioned. And there's been other years like this past year where we never had to raise our voice because our kids 
played hard, but coaching hard for these guys or just sitting them out for five, six minutes in the game. So what does coaching hard look like for you uh, at South St. Paul versus Brooklyn Center and how that maybe even changes from one program to the next? It, again, it's all about what our kids need and what they respond to. Some of them, some of them, uh, like this year, uh, we had a couple football guys and they're like, coach, you got to yell at us more. I'm like, well, I can do that. I don't like it. It's not fun. I mean, I, I know I, during games, I get a little demonstrative and, and people think I might be a yeller. I, I, I don't love that. Um, to me, I, I try to coach hard more through our, our best players. Um, Alonzo Dodd, who was amazing for us this year, he scored 25 a game as a sophomore. Um, great kid, great uh, honor roll student. He had a bad Saturday practice and we just said, come back on Monday. And he was just shocked and everybody else in the, in the gym was shocked. And so for him, that was taking basketball away for the rest of the weekend was coaching him hard. I didn't have to yell. We didn't have to do anything. Um, and we, we certainly never had a problem with that again. And again, that goes kind of to the, to the buy-in. Okay. If he's going to tell Alonzo to get out and he's better than all of us, we better, we better pick it up. You know? So it, it, again, it's, it's all, um, just personal relationships. Um, you know, Max Wilson is a young man who's been with us um, since really since he was a sixth grader. He's an amazing talent. Um, and he likes to, to be pushed harder verbally. Um, he just, he needs it. He thrives on it. He feeds off of it. He feeds off the challenge. And so that's what we do with him. You know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's just understanding and you can't cookie cutter cookie cut kids. Uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. And, um, I, I don't see any benefit to doing that. Yeah. I think the big thing you hit on there is just, you know, not the cookie cutter, right? I think so, so many times coaches get stuck, like thinking everyone needs to get treated the same way, but kids are coming from a variety of different backgrounds. Maybe some kids are yelled at more at home. Sometimes kids are maybe held the, you know, maybe there's a little softer punishments at home. So you has got to treat every kid differently. I know I, when I was a young coach, I, I ran in trouble with that all the time because no one told me that, Hey, you got not everyone can be yelled at. Not everyone is going to use playing time as a motivator. So I think it's great when you talk about just that, that not everyone's a, you can't cookie cut coach every kid, right? Everyone's different. Everyone comes from different backgrounds. Uh, I want to talk about uh, what practices look like for you. Uh, so first practice, new program, November 19th. What are you doing your first day? Um, you know, when, when I was a young coach with coach McKenzie, um, we would, he started at two a days. We started at 6 a.m. practice and then we would do a practice after uh, school. And the theory being a lot of what we do was mental. 6 a.m. at November 19th is not going to be a great practice. You're not going to get a lot out of it, but you get to tell you, young men, we're the first ones in the gym. Our goal is to be the last ones. It's kind of that setting that mindset. And there it's just a lot of energy, a lot of yelling, a lot, it's, it's all defensive stuff. Um, and again, and not even great. We go to stance, we go to slides, we go a lot of stuff that, that people say is outdated. And from a basketball standpoint, it's probably not super productive other than to get in there, get a lot of energy, a lot of um, camaraderie and start building that mental focus. We talk a lot. I mean, um, one thing that we always do, and usually we do it in the first uh, workout of any, any season um, and we've, we've had a lot of success with it at Brooklyn Center and, and say the South St. Paul guys are taking to it. We look up at the banners and there's, you know, there's football banners and there's all these other banners. There's no basketball banners and there's no even state tournament appearances in the last 50 years at South St. Paul. And there wasn't uh, 35 years at, at Brooklyn Center. And I said, that's our goal. I said, you guys want to be remembered? You guys want to do something? That's our goal. I'll never forget when... Um, I had one at Brooklyn Center. We had one guy that was held over from the last staff, our staff. We kept him. And I did that, and we walked through it, and we, did, we do a big thing of, of imagining what it's like to be there, going to state, and hanging a banner, and the ceremony, and all that. Um, and he ended up – so the, the, this assistant that we had, he was there for that and did all that. And, um, we then – when we get to state four years – uh, I'm sorry, three years later – he came into the locker room. He was no longer at the school. He wasn't with us anymore. He goes, I thought you were absolutely insane to be doing that and telling these kids and trying to feed their head full of this nonsense. Brooklyn Center wasn't going to go to state. And you got it there in three years because you believe and you put that in them. And I just, that was just such a cool moment um, to have him come back and say, God, you, we thought you were insane. 
and then you did it. Uh, so that's what a lot of those first practices are like. It's just building that mental platform to, to, to let them give themselves a chance to be great. Well, so much of what we see on social media can really, and Bryce and I talked about that the other day, it can really warp what coaches do. If it's from set play stuff to uh, there's so many different one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, five-on-five drills that you can do, but you have to coach who you are. And I like that you said that you like that you admit it's maybe old school. It's maybe not the best basketball, but you're, it's a mental toughness thing. And, you know, are they going to be able to get into a stance because they did that six AM versus if you would have just done enough three thirty? It might not make a difference, but having them get up, get get to school, get get, uh, get going early, get a sweat going, and just kind of grind through all their classmates are in bed, and maybe other teams in your section are in bed, uh, is just it's that mental piece that's going to carry you further than any small sided game versus five on zero versus block defensive shuffle. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, exactly. Gotta, and, and you, yeah. Go ahead. It, 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 it's something we can go go back to, um, right? It, it, in the, the that timeout when we're up one with eleven seconds to go, you can call back to that. Like, don't let that be in vain. We were up at six o'clock. They weren't. You know, it just those little things that that you can try to get that mental edge and just to get that buy in and and try to, to try to create a little advantage or or, or you know just a maybe a, a young man digging a little bit deeper than he thought that he could. And we're lucky too, or maybe not lucky, but we're in a pretty much in a no cutting program where we're at. Uh, we just don't really have the numbers for it. And culturally wise in our athletic department, it's not necessary across all, all sports. So adding those 6am practice, really makes that kid who's on the fence. Like, ah, do I really want to go for basketball this year? So uh, there's, on our end, there's a little added bonus with that. But uh, so again, new program, that's obviously the hype. Everyone that I talk to, Coach McAllister is good as, as good as anyone at turning the program around quickly. So when you jump in, are you looking on individual development or mixing in your team concepts or what is kind of that? It's almost an artwork. So what does that look like for you? Right. And, and so we, um, I've always told somebody I, I would never take a job if I couldn't get that first summer and, and have hit the ground running so that we can do everything in June. And so to me, the, what we do kind of our, the, 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 the 10,000 foot view from on top June, we spend with individual work, evaluating the young men, seeing who wants to be there, everything optional, but we go four days a week. Um, it's all individual, all offensive, and it's getting our terminology down. Uh, you know, when we say, you know, we're going to do partner shooting, that's what this is. When we say we're going to do spot shooting, that's what this is. When we say we're going to do Packer shooting, that's what this is. Just so that there's labels to it and there's the, the we're starting to get the terminology down starting to no, we don't go i'm not as animated and i'm not as forceful because it's voluntary i kind of want to see where their their motor's at so i'm not i'm not pushing them at the tempo that we that we would have and that, that it's going to take once we get to november um and then in July, even though we, you know, a lot of times we lose some kids uh, for AAU stuff, we still have our, the, the majority of the kids there. We start doing some of the team drills and more just the competitive drills, the, the continuous drills, some of those things. And now we're not, again, going at the, the tempo or the physicality that we would in, in November, but just getting the terminology, getting it so that they're not seeing it for the first time in November. And then, so we're mixing in the individual work with that team stuff. Um, and then typically, once we get into... Um, November, it's, it's all about tempo and competing. And that's been the biggest common denominator between Breck, who was, who was coming off of a five win team when we got it there to Brooklyn center, who hadn't been good in 35 years to South St. Paul, who hadn't been good in 50 years. The common denominator is these young men just didn't know how to compete what that looked like even if they thought they were competing they just didn't know what that took and that's what we'd spend most of the time on i mean um john carrier who you had on who's amazing with the drills and the small-sided games and um i have such respect for him and i pick his brain all the time i tell him for the first two months we don't have much in we're gonna move we're gonna play hard um when people come and scout us i kind of chuckle i'm like i'll send you the film we don't do anything we're, we're just gonna play hard <laughs> Right. I mean, that's just what we're going to do. Um, and until we get that, you know, like even Alonzo Dodd texted me the other day. He's like, so what do we have in store next year? I said, next year is going to be so much different because now you guys know how to compete. You guys know how to win. You guys know how to challenge each other in practice. That was what year one was about. Now let's now we can do some basketball stuff, um, which will be kind of fun. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on you and actually say, I think that's a good thing. When you can send another team your film and go, this is what we're going to do. And even you don't really know if it's motion stuff or whatever. If you're just letting your kids play and they're competing and they're playing hard, that's hard to scout against. You know, I think that uh, teams, when I'm, when I'm game planning, if the team's running a bunch of sets, I can see that coming. I mean, everyone's right. got everyone's film out there. So, okay, you run horns. You run two things out of horns. You're either going to 12, you're either going to 24. Like, we can guard right. that. Whereas if teams are just free flowing, they're getting, they're going, they're running in transition. They have good tempo. They're attacking the rim. Like that's the hardest stuff to stop. It's not the the set play fiesta as we like to call it. It's the the teams who can just freaking play basketball that are the hardest for hardest for us to go against. Um, you've had uh, some young guys uh, that have had a lot of success for you. So how do you determine when that young guy is ready to maybe supplant a junior or senior on the death chart? Um, you know, a couple things. One. Um, I had talked about earlier, we're not in the school um, for day jobs and, and those types of things. So I really think one of the advantages there is I don't, uh, you know, obviously I know what grades they're in, but I don't see them as freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, because I don't see them as that all day, every day. They're not in freshman, my freshman class, or I had them three years ago. Mm-hmm. Or I see them at lunch with the seniors. So I, to me, they're just basketball players. Uh, and that's really a, an added bonus. And so then we just kind of judge on maturity level and and those types of things. Um, and I've told, and I'm very honest with our players early on. I'm like, look, if if this program was functioning the way it should have been, I wouldn't be here. Your last coach would have been here still. So we're going to do things different. I'm here for to, to turn this around. And if everything is equal, if there's a senior or a sophomore that are exactly equal, who do you think I'm going to play? And I just put it out there for them. And I haven't got pushback on it yet, luckily. I, I may at some point from a, from a parent or something, um, but I haven't. But at least I'm putting it out there. I'm being honest with them. And it gives our, our young guys a lot of um, – uh, it gives them more confidence to go out and compete. And I always tell them I'm coming in fresh, right? And so a lot of our young guys, the number one thing is they're talented, right? We have Max Wilson, who's a, who, who started for us last year as an eighth grader at Brooklyn Center. He's scoring 12 a game, getting seven rebounds and, and running the point as an eighth grader. He's just talented, right? Lakai Patterson did the same thing as an eighth grader. Um, so a lot of it is just um, making sure they're good enough, making sure they're physically ready, making sure they're not in positions where they're going to get hurt. Uh, and then our style of play, I think, lends itself to, um, to, to having them play earlier because we're not running a bunch of sets, because we're pretty basic defensively other than play hard, don't let the ball get in the middle, um, put pressure on the basketball, communicate. That's it. We're not asking you to think a lot, play hard. And we, and we try to let our players play through mistakes, um, the, at least the, the physical ones. And there's not a whole lot of mental processing going on. Um, and as we cut down our scouting reports, and you know, so we have to kind of tailor some of those things to younger players. But I, I really think it pays dividends. And, and it, you know, one thing it has, and, and I know um, – <clears throat> In the last podcast, Bryce talked about this, you know, with the transfer situation, you know, and we've had players transfer into our program or like Max Wilson was at Brooklyn Center. When I went to South St. Paul, I didn't contact him. As soon as he heard, he put on social media, he was going there because he wanted to come play for us because of how we play. Um, We play fast. We play loose. We get after people. But also because we let young people play, more people are, are, are showing interest in coming to our program. Right. It just it's, it's the way it is. And, and we're out there and, and we're loud on social media and whatever. So, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of players or a lot of coaches are going to say, you know, come to our program and, uh, and maybe you don't have to have this up at Princeton. But but young men shop around, you know, and they try to find the right fit. Uh, eighth graders, seventh graders, which program they're going to. And a lot of coaches are going to say, well, you know, we're just going to play the best players. They're going to help us win. We can say we do it. You know, I mean, last year at Brooklyn Center, last year there, we started two seventh graders in our. Um, section game against Concordia, Tamari Larkins and Cash Cashmere Chavis. I mean, we've done it and, and we've had a lot of success with it and we empower them. And when we, we just tell them like, you're one of the guys, go out there and compete. And if you can take a spot. So we've had some success with it. And it's again, number one key is they're good enough to do it. Right. They're, they're talented enough. Yeah. The, uh, you talk about the system and I feel like that in and of itself is an unintentional way. Uh, we, we play fast too. And we led to class three with 85 points game. And I think that kids want to play that way. They don't want to be micromanaged and that, and that helps 
almost unintentional, like a, a positive of that is that it helps build that relationship because they feel that you're trusting them to make decisions. And I've never thought of it that way where the, it helps close the 14 year old versus a 17 year old. And they're not relying on a bunch of different set plays or memorization or memorizing a three page scouting report. It lets them just play basketball and it really simplifies the game. And even for 18 year olds, there are seniors who maybe been a four year starter. They don't need to have a three page scouting report. They just kind of go, go play basketball and play hard and, and then make the most out of it. Uh, you know, you talk, right. I, I mean, these, know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Young men play so much AAU and they love it. They, uh, they, they love it. And, and you know, we can sit here and, and talk about the, the values or the merits or the, the, the disadvantage of that. We're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube on that one. So we figured we might as well lean into it. If this is the way they want to play and it's beneficial to us and we can win with it and it's going to help attract more young men. Um, why not? And it's more fun. I, to me, it's just more fun. And quite frankly, our practices, we can go hard. And they're, they think they're working. I mean, they think they're just getting shots up or, or they're just playing offense for, for, for the extended period of time. But they're working their tail off. But they're willing to do it because we're, we're just we're playing hard and we're playing fast. I'm a huge AAU advocate. You know, we're lucky in our section with five of our teams being significantly north of us or we have way more opportunities to play AAU. And I think it's been a huge, huge advantage for us in our, in our section that we have – of our playoff roster of 18, 15 kids were on, was out, were on a full-time AAU roster this, this, this past spring and summer. So I think I'm a huge advocate of it. Obviously, there are some there, – there is the negatives with the potential money grab and, you know, maybe exploiting kids uh, and making money off of high school kids and this and that. But at the end of the day, A, it's going to get them better at basketball. But B, it's putting them in, in a real-world situation where they got to work and survive and communicate right. with kids who are different than them, right? They're from different schools. They're strangers. Like you don't go to campus freshman year, whatever school you go to and have 25 kids that, you know, on your floor of your dormitory, you have to get to know and work with other kids. So right. I'm a big AAU guy. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we kind of texted back and forth about this a little bit and I, I want to, you know, see where this goes, but you know, socioeconomic status of some of the kids that you have, I, I will love to know more about that. You know, in Princeton, kind of an exurb type area, you know, we have some, you know, you know, we're 30% free and reduced lunch school district, but for the most part, our basketball kids are pretty, are pretty well taken care of from their parents. And I'm just really intrigued with, you know, you've been at private schools and inner city schools and suburban schools. What are some of the challenges and rewards that you see from some of those lower socioeconomic uh, uh, student athletes that you work with? Sure. So I, my first job was at Minneapolis Patrick Henry with coach McKenzie. Um, very, uh, especially at the time, was probably even more so a disadvantaged school, um, a lot of single family um, situations, free and reduced lunch, um, you know, pretty, it's, it's North Minneapolis. It's, um, you know, and I went there and I, I was intrigued to work with Coach McKenzie because of the basketball side, the talent, and, and, and I liked the way that they played. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I want to be part of that. The, what I didn't realize was the, the, the joy that I would get from watching him lead these young men and take them from being a stereotype to somebody who was going to graduate, who was going to go on to college, who was going to graduate college, who was going to um, have a family and become a productive member of society. And the, the victories and the joy you get out of that um, and how awesome that was, you know, just how impressionable as an 18 year old kid I was to go in and see that and see the, the impact that coach McKenzie had. I'm like, Holy cow, that was nothing like my experience at New Prague. I didn't, I had no connection with any coach like that because I didn't have to. Cause my dad was there because I was going to go to college. I wasn't, I wasn't going to play basketball in college. I was going to go and be a student. Um, I was like, that's awesome. So it, it just, that was just, it was fascinating to me and, and I loved it. Um, and then, you know, I go to Breck, um, and we had some of the experience at Holy Angels and then I go to Brack, which is at the time was $26,000 a year to go there. So that's a different extreme. It, you know, if you can afford $26,000 a year, whew, you've got some money. Um, so it's a different world. And it was good. And we won and I loved it. And, and young men, as you know, I mean, everybody, when you're 15 to 18 and, and coming of age, boys to men situation, you have struggles, you have commonalities of fitting in and girls, and academics and puberty and all that stuff. But the, the struggles were different. You know, they were going to go to school. I mean, I, I remember one day walking out with my staff and our kids were driving away. Um, 
Range Rover, BMW SUV, Lexus SUV. Like these kids aren't getting on the floor for a loose ball. Why would they? Like, you know, they're going to go to Harvard. They're going to, they're fine. And, and it just, so it left a little bit to be desired, you know, and, and the example what I always say, and I always tell our kids, I say, you know, if you really break this game of basketball down, what we're doing, it's really silly. We're running around out here, smelling each other's armpits, trying to get this ball through a hole in shorts. Like, what are we doing? Unless we're teaching something else, or unless we're doing something else with it and learning something else or gaining life skills, we're just wasting our time. But if we can use it for that, it's the most beautiful game in the world. It's, there's nothing else like it, and I truly believe that. Um, and so that, to me, has been the value and the benefit of then going back to a Brooklyn Center, where it was just like North Minneapolis. And that was one of the things that attracted me to, to this job. And, and I always tell John Carrier this. So my, my son plays in Mendota Heights um, Traveling Association, just starting out. And so he knows John and I know John. And there was a Friday night last year where John was playing and we had the night off and we had everybody scouted. So my assistant, me, and my son went and watched South St. Paul versus Henry Sibley. And I was like, holy cow, this doesn't look like the South St. Paul team that I'm used to, which was all a bunch of Caucasian kids. You know, in the past, that's what the, the, the city had been and that's what the team had been. But the demographics were shifting, you know, where, I mean, they were, they started one white kid and uh, I, I don't know that they even had more than two others come off the bench. And I just filed it away. It was South St. Paul. I didn't think anything of it. I was at Brooklyn Center. I did it. But it was something that intrigued me then once the job came open to look at it and look at the socioeconomic status and look at where the demographics were shifting. And it kind of aligned with what we were doing at Brooklyn Center, where we can help these young men. It was a lot of single families, um, a lot of, um, you know, it, it, there's just there was more people from St. Paul coming in. And it just it, it looked like another situation where we can, again, go and use basketball to help young men um, kind of overcome stereotypes and break cycles that that their families have been in bigger than basketball you know and your co like you exactly. said you mentioned the team that you had at breck there wasn't as much i mean you could help them with you could give them a basketball experience but that was it but now you get the opportunity have a a person a personal experience then you're hopefully getting them out of like you said that cycle that they haven't been able to break coming from uh probably you know split household probably like you mentioned a lot of cases where a lot of kids, they might not know where their next meal's coming from. And being able to provide them that safe environment where they can grow and exceed is just, is just really cool. And that's something I don't really necessarily get as much of. Like I said, most of our kids that I've coached are pretty well off. I know every kid has struggles and challenges, and you can make a positive impact on everyone that you coach. But when you, you, know, you tap into that and, you, and clearly you're intrinsically motivated that you want to help these kids, right? It's, it's within you, and that's really cool to hear. Uh, and to look at the look at these kids as more than just a stereotype and really connect with them on a different level and help them go to college, right? That's a huge step. Maybe for some of the kids, it's their first experience going, first family member going to college. Absolutely. And that's awesome. And just, man, it's, just to hear you say that, it's like, that, 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 that that's good stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, some of my, my things that I'm most proud of, um, in, in the past two years, I've had two former players, um, uh, Ross Foreman and Robert Eppinger, both asked me to stand up in their weddings. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, from people that grew up, I mean, Robert grew up in, in Rockford, Illinois, then came up here and lived in North Minneapolis. Ross Foreman grew up in South Minneapolis, played at Henry. We don't have anything in common except basketball. And then a common, from that, a common relationship and a bond and, and a shared experience. And I mean, that's just, to me, that's bigger than, like you said, bigger than any wins or losses. Don't get me wrong. I like the wins, but yeah. Um, you know, that's, it, it, it's pretty cool. Um, and then to see our young men advance and, and move on, the, the ones from Brooklyn Center, um, you know, who are playing college basketball now, and, and to see Marcus Brown this year, um, you know, single parent family and, and going on to school. It's just, it's, that's to me what it's all about. All right. National coach, Tanzania. Let's talk about that. How, remind, I know there's been a few articles. I, you know, I reread re the Star Tribune article from a couple of years back that was written on that. It was on Basketball Hub. Uh, give us kind of the quick little summary about how that came about. And then how do you build a program 8,000 miles away? Um, it's, uh, it came about through uh, a trip that I took with one of my former clients who was a Kenyan um, uh, Kenyan immigrant here and he brought me back to his to his country and I just I fell in love 
with Africa. I mean, it's, it's a completely different world. I can't even put it into, to, to words. I mean, it just, it, it, the moment I got back from that Kenya trip, which had nothing to do with basketball. Um, I was like, Hold, I, I'm hooked. And my wife's like, you're, you're insane. What are you talking about? Like you're driving around, you're eating goats. Um, you're, you're, you have no hot water. Why do you like this? I'm like, and I'm a history guy too. I'm a history major. I almost felt like I was going back in time. Like, this is insane. Like, you know, this communal living and, um, you know, there's no refrigeration, there's no air conditioning. It's just, it it was crazy. I was like, this is, it just fascinated me. Um, so through that connection and that trip, um, I put on a clinic in Tanzania, uh, which is the, it butts up to, to Kenya, the country that butts up to Kenya. And, um, and it just, it spun off into the national team coach situation. And we agreed it wasn't so much on the floor coaching, um, it was, it was kind of more of a CEO type role of, of just implementing, um, and, and teaching and teaching the, the coaches and, and, um, raising awareness. They knew I could be a, a, a mouthpiece, I guess, um, to, to add legitimacy. It's a soccer country. It's, it's so far removed from, from, you know, the European influence like Nigeria and some of the, the great, um, teams that they have in Africa are so much closer to, to Europe and those influences. So it just soccer wasn't the, the, the government's not funding it. Um, parents don't see it as an avenue for their for their children. Um, so part of my job is to to go and just film commercials, uh, so that to 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 get awareness, to get more young people, get more of the athletes playing it, um, so that we can get on a stage where uh, we can can compete at first in East Africa, um, and then you know try to try to make an Olympic team, which is still a ways away. Um, but even there, you know, the biggest thing that we've done and, and the most success that we've had is is identifying um, young men and a couple of young women to come over and, and have scholarships here in the U.S. Again, using basketball to, to change these young people's lives and talk about a, an experience to go from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania to, you know, one one young man's at North Platte, Nebraska. You know, I mean, it just, it just it's, it's mind-blowing and it's pretty awesome. How often do you go over there? Um, so my contract is for two times a year. Um, I have not been two times a year the last two years um, with uh, three young kids and, mm-hmm. and a very patient wife, but um, you know, it's still uh, somebody I need to, to support and I can't push my limits. Um, it's been one time a year the last two years. Every time I try to take one of my assistants with, um, and they, the, the government pays for that. Uh, I've taken uh, Juco Advocate, which is a pretty has become a, has a pretty big footprint now in the, the marketing world. I took those guys one time. Um, and actually tomorrow we were supposed to go. I, it was going to be my first time that, that Tracy, my wife went with me. Um, but obviously due to the, the situation in the world right now, that's not going to happen. So um, it's, it, but every time I go it, because of the travel, um, I stay between 12 and 14 days because it's just from, from, my door to hotel is about a 30 hour trip. So staying any less than 10 days doesn't make sense or else you just turn it around and doing it again. Um, so it's, it's a pretty substantial commitment to go over there. And, um, you know, I have the law firm back here, so we got to get everything lined up with that and then have my wife take care of the kids. So it's getting a little more difficult. Um, but, uh, but still try to get over there at least once a year. Last, uh, last question here kind of the, the big thing I want from this podcast is really just to obviously have really good basketball coaches throughout the state, share what they're doing. Hopefully people can learn from it with well, the main goal of mine being if I was a young coach or a first year coach, or I was just taking over program, what would be some advice I could take away from uh, these various successful head coaches? So what would be your advice to a first year head coach? Um, be yourself. That was one of the, one of the best pieces of advice that Coach McKenzie gave me, and I can't, I can't uh, give enough credit to Coach McKenzie for everything I learned from him. I'd still learn from him. I mean, from a basketball standpoint, but as a man, as a leader, you know, he's, he's as a leader of men, he's a, as good as it gets. Um, and he said, you know, as I was getting the Breck job, he said, you know, you've, you've learned under me for six years. You can't be me. You're not me, right? Like you just have different strengths, different qualities, different, different weaknesses. Be yourself. They hired you. Um, and, and that was the best advice I could get. Right. And, um, so the, and the other one that I'm, I'm a huge fan of is keep a notebook, journal, everything, especially the things you would change. The amount of times that I would look back and say, boy, 
I really messed that up. That was not how that should have went. Or whether it be an X and O thing, a schedule thing, a bus thing, um, you know, just every detail, the details, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, we talk about turning around program details are important that, um, you know, I, I had one coach tell me, come watch my program or come watch a game and tell me what you think. And they were playing music from the, from like the eighties hair bands. I'm like, dude, your, your, your student section is so disconnected. Nobody's, nobody cares. Like it just, there's no feel, there's no atmosphere. This does not feel like a, a, a 21st century basketball gym. Um, you have to take care of all those details and you don't know that unless you keep a record or keep a log. Boy, I miss that because there's so many things that happen. And you don't know what you don't know. Just write it down and go review it and not be hard on yourself, but be honest with yourself. Like that didn't work, man. It, don't blame somebody else. That didn't work because the players weren't good enough. Well then find something else that does work, right? Be honest with yourself. Um, to me, that's the biggest thing. Be yourself and then just constantly evaluate, constantly evaluate and, until you find it and, and then keep reevaluating. And because the things, you know, as a young coach, you've got a job younger than I did things that I thought were right at 28 and the things that I could probably get away with from and really even the time management standpoint. I mean, I got my first job, 28 married, no kids. Now I'm 30 something. Um, we won't <laughs> say the exact uh, age, three kids, wife, family, law firm, time management, right? I have to figure out, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What do I have to delegate? How do I delegate? Who do I delegate it to? So, you know, constantly evaluating it. And that's most important for a young coach, but I, I think every coach has to do that. And then our final, uh, final audience question was, uh, we had a question about timeouts. And I'll start with this one. I'll give you a second. You've done a great job and I can listen to you talk for hours on end here. My philosophy with timeouts and you respond however you feel. I want to save them as much as I can to the end. I just think possessions at the end of the game are so important. Uh, we don't like to use more than more than one in the first half if we have to. I love going to half with five timeouts in a spot where we're or where we're ahead in a game. Obviously, you got to stop runs where you need to stop runs. But if you got a big four timeouts in the first half, you're probably not winning anyways. So it's better to save those things and hope you need them to save possessions. Now we'll take a different strategy with our squad. A little bit different, obviously, in the playoffs than you will in a regular season game uh, when it's when it's single elimination. You know, win or go home. But I really love carrying five timeouts to the second half. I think it's important to have three with two minutes left that you can save possessions because those are so valuable at the end of the game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm big on saving them. I always tell my assistant, uh, my, my assistant who keeps our book, I said, do not let me call more than two in the first half. And that's the most that we'll call. I mean, two is, is a lot. Um, my, my theory has always been, 30 second timeouts are for emotional things. If I need to, to get on somebody, if I need to, to, to get into the whole team atmosphere, the energy level, um, those are more of emotional pitches. The, the, the long ones are, you know, and it's, it's more of quick adjustments. Uh, I don't like big adjustments. And, um, you know, some people say, you know, oh my God, you drew up a great play. Well, if you're drawing up a play in a timeout at, at the high school level, your kids aren't going to run, right? We practice plays. For, 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 for three weeks and we don't run them right. So, uh, but it's, it's the small things and it's, again, not overload. Uh, the way we play, we use them a lot for just to take a breath, right? Get some water, take a breath, especially if we're not deep. Um, you know, if we have foul trouble or whatever, we're not deep. It's just it's take a breath, reload. What are you guys seeing? All right, we're on the same page. Let's go. You know, um, what one thing that I like to do, and it kind of it can get me in trouble sometimes. And I know people are so against the 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 mole killer timeout. You don't take one after you make a basket. My favorite way to end a run is if they're going on a run. Uh, and my assistant's like, we gotta take a timeout. Wait till we get a bucket. We gotta have them feeling good about something. They know they suck right now. They they know they're not playing well. We gotta have them. Let's get call something. Get a bucket get a timeout. Now we have something to build on in this timeout and get back and get that run stop. Um, so that's, and it has bit me because then you're waiting two possessions. Like, Oh shit, are we ever going to score again? Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it has been, but a lot of times when, when, if you're at that point, it, it, it might be too late anyway. Um, who knows, you know, so and, and not to say that, that it's perfect. I was actually, I was talking to one of my assistants today. He's like, are you going to tell him that you take time out so you can yell at the rest? I'm like, no, I'm probably going to leave that part out. But, 
that, that, those aren't those aren't my finest moments. Um, I think that uh, when you you know I think in the other way I hate con- if a kid has a breakaway dunk on the other team I hate giving them extra time to celebrate that dunk and bailing them out of the timeout because now your kids right. are head down their bench is jumping around kids hooting and hollering if you're on the road their student section's getting into it and now your kids got to have that 30 foot what feels like 700 foot walk back to the bench right. with a loud gym of people cheering I want to just keep going I like I said I think you hit the nail on the head I think our philosophy and timeouts are pretty much the same especially sometimes when you got to get on the uh, the officials because you know we're everyone's human they're going to make mistakes we just got to address it when they when the situation situation arises exactly and, and i know if and i don't want to assume anybody's going to listen to this especially all the way through but but uh but kevin uh czar if you hear this there's nothing wrong with a well-timed mole killer as you call it timeout if we're if if we're in that moment where we can close that game out with a good defensive stance i'm gonna call that timeout and make sure we know what we're doing and ramp up our pressure and we're going to call that timeout so sorry, Kevin. If Zar, if Zar, if Zar's listening, he made a trip up to Cambridge to watch us play. Uh, we had them on a Friday, Monday this year. We we're both undefeated in our conference, top in our section. They're four A section, our three A section. We're down thirty two at halftime, so I blame him for that one. Uh, we turned <laughs> there you on go. We won on Monday the next, but we were just mad. It was a bad game. But uh, coach, really appreciate you coming on. I've been a big fan of yours for a while. I uh, love what you've done. I love just the the bigger than basketball stuff that you talk about. And I think so much we get wrapped up in that set or that fast draw or that tweet that we saw and we just got to connect with kids and try to make a huge impact on them. So thanks for coming on. Hope you continue listening. Uh, and I think what's your Twitter handle for those that uh, maybe don't have that. Can you give us that? Sure. It's uh it's coach M Mac. Um, and, and you were kind enough to, to tweet about it this morning. Um, yeah. If anybody has any questions, wants to chat, um, Virtually now, uh, I like face-to-face chats. Um, I'm here for it. I, I love learning, um, and and I, I, the basketball community is awesome. I always say that. Um, you know, the, the only people that know what we go through um, year in, year out, day in, day out is us. Um, and so, I to me, I'm I, I'm a big fan of the more collegiality we can have, have the better. Um, and it doesn't. I get bored with the X's and O's stuff and maybe that's, that's my fault, but, but the motivation stuff and, and all the other stuff, I just, I love the chats and love learning. And I think this is a great thing you're doing. And, and I really, really appreciate uh, you having me on. Awesome. Thanks coach. Best of luck next season. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.